12 and our theme for tonight is a war of words a war of words well from one crisis to another barely a week after our health minister announced the end of covid restrictions in northern ireland another shocking turn of events began to unfold in our world the unthinkable has happened war in europe once again and yet, of course, the crisis in Ukraine is far from the only one in our world today. Conflicts rage in parts of Africa and the Middle East that rarely hit the headlines. Record famines and floods seem to be occurring on a regular basis. In our own country, more and more people are falling into debt and poverty. The cost of living seems to be out of control. There are multiple crises in our world today. In Psalm 12, King David writes, in a time of crisis, a time much like our own when it seems that society around him is becoming more and more troubled and at the same time more godless. How does David react in such a time? Look at verse 1. Save, O Lord. could also be translated help. Help. The simplest of prayers but a most important prayer. Often a prayer that we're slow to make. We're very quick to despair. We're quick to complain about what we see in our world. We're quick to vent perhaps about the anxieties that we have in our lives. We're often slow to get onto our knees and pray with childlike faith, help, O Lord. David says in verse one, the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished. The words there describe believers, those who are in covenant with God. And David says, there are none left. Believers have vanished. They've been defeated or discouraged into silence. God's people are not prominent. God's word is not being widely preached and certainly not widely believed. Society, a mess. We know, of course, that Behind every physical war or cultural crisis in our world, there is a spiritual battle taking place, a war between light and darkness, between God's truth and Satan's lies. It's a war about what people believe, who people follow and listen to. In many ways, it's a war of words, a war of words. And this psalm helps us to spot the difference between God's truth and and Satan's lies. And it also helps us to navigate the increasingly troubled waters that we seem to find ourselves in in society today and in our world at large. So let's think first of all this evening about the words of a wicked world. The words of a wicked world. One of the things that always comes along with a physical war is a propaganda war. Propaganda, of course, is exaggeration. Sometimes it's just outright lies with the intention of getting people to follow your cause or believe your side of the story or support your effort in fighting an enemy. Uh, during World War I, posters would appear in Britain with happy-looking, heroic-looking young British men eager to go off to the front and fight for their country. One poster with a picture of a soldier said, he's happy and satisfied, are you? Another poster said, women of Britain say, go. 
appealing perhaps to a male sense of pride and ambition to go off and be a hero and impress the ladies. Propaganda looks very different in the 21st century, but it's more rampant than ever. Over the last couple of weeks, maybe you've seen some of the clips of Russian TV outlets, uh, news channels that are loyal to President Putin, and they try to justify the, the Russian invasion, and they come up with all sorts of nonsense about what's actually happening on the ground in Ukraine. And it's all in an effort to make President Putin look like a, a, a wonderful hero rather than the warmonger and egomaniac that he seems to be. Point is, friends, words are very powerful. Words are very powerful. God knows that and Satan knows that. Look at how David describes the kind of words being used in his increasingly godless world. Verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbour. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. He mentions flattery again in verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Flattery is... You might say buttering people up. Saying whatever you think they would like to hear so that they're impressed with you or, or they, they, they have the impression that you're, they're on, you're on their side. Maybe you say particular things so that they give you something that you want. One preacher says, if gossip is what you would never say to a person's face, flattery is what you would never say behind their back. So maybe you come up with some really nice, wonderful thing that you say to their face, but you would never say that uh, behind their back. Flattery can be a form of lying because maybe you don't even believe what you're saying about the person. And David says at the time he wrote this psalm, flattery is all over the place. People are saying whatever they need to say to get on someone's side or to get someone on their side. Do we see much sign of flattery in our culture today? Oh yes. Every time there's an election, there's flattery. We'll be heading into it in a few weeks' time. Your opinion matters. Your voice should be heard. Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so is a politician that will work for you. Flattery in the whole approach of media outlets today when we're told that it's all about our opinions being heard. How many radio shows or news shows start with those words? A lot of what passes for news isn't really news at all. It's people talking about their feelings, their, their opinions. Advertising is full of flattery. Get the phone that's right for you. Book a trip here or there. You deserve it. There can even be flattery in churches sometimes, maybe in an effort to keep numbers up. Ministers, church leaders will flatter people. Oh yes, it's fine to to live your life that way. God doesn't judge, we don't judge. God's a God of love, he's made you just that way. You can do that or believe that and still call yourself a Christian and be a member of this church. David says in Psalm 12 verse 2, These flatterers speak with a double heart. In other words, they say whatever they need to say, even if they don't believe it, to manipulate people into getting what they want. David says that the wicked world around him also speaks boastful words. Verse 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. 
also known as social media. A huge amount of social media is just boasting. I'm not saying that we can't share achievements or special moments in appropriate ways, but we need to be mindful that a lot of what people post online is empty boasting in themselves. It leaves this impression of everything being perfect in their lives, and we're left thinking, well, why isn't my life as lovely and rosy as that? Flatterers, boasters, but also, verse 4, proud rebels. Those who say, verse 4, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips, uh, our lips with us. Who is master over us? Isn't that the attitude of President Putin at the minute? Who is master over me? Isn't this the attitude of those who celebrate or who want to celebrate ungodly lifestyles? Pride parades, the abortion activists. Who is master over us? The attitude of those pushing to change laws about gender recognition. Who is master over us? The attitude of children not being loved or disciplined or parented in a godly way. and They go into school and nobody can control them. Who is master over us? See friends, there's a war on, not just in Ukraine, but in every corner of the globe. Spiritual warfare is taking place. And in many ways, a huge component of the spiritual warfare in our world is a war of words. Satan doesn't care what words people believe about him, about themselves, about God. As long as it sends them to hell along with him, he'll be happy. But look at the results of, this, of all this flattering, proud, boastful talk. Verse 5, because the poor are plundered, Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. In a society full of flattery, and it's it's those most in need, those most vulnerable, who end up being exploited. The powerful, the proud, they boast and they flatter, and meanwhile the needy are ignored and outcast and trampled upon. It's what's happening in our society today. Our society that boasts and flatters itself about its supposedly sexually liberated culture, yet a growing number of women and children are enslaved, the playthings of perverted men. In societies that boast about choice and freedom to make our own decisions, unborn children get no voice and no choice as their lives are destroyed in the womb. At the same time that people boast online of Great successes or great entertainment or great experience. More people are anxious and depressed and lonely than ever before. Flattery and boasting and this arrogant talk leads to death. And so friends, the old saying is true and timely. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't assume that what is celebrated on our screens, what is preached at us on social media, what is passed off as, as legitimate and fact, factual news, don't assume that it's all something we should believe or even pay attention to. 1 John 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Sometimes we even need to test our own hearts. Are we flattering ourselves? 
making excuses for our sin, making excuses for not doing the things we should be doing? Are we proud? Are we boastful? Or are we humble and submitting ourselves to God's words <coughs> and to God's truth? The words of the wicked world. But secondly, then we consider the words of the one true God. The words of the one true God. There's a clear contrast in this psalm between the wicked words of the world and the tested and trusted words of the one true God. Notice how the covenant God of Israel responds to the wicked words of the world. Verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Notice, friends, God doesn't even need to hear the words of his people. The groans of his people are enough for God to, uh, to act and to, uh, and to intervene. Parents, when our children were only newborn babies, we, we didn't wait for them to explain to us what was wrong when we heard their cries, did we? Their groans, their cries in the middle of the night. We knew immediately they, they need food or they need comfort. And similarly, David is saying here that God, our perfect Father, knows immediately the situation of his people. At times we might not, might not even be able to get the words out to him in prayer, but he knows even as we groan and even as we cry. And all throughout the law of God given through Moses, uh, God's law emphasizes a concern for the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the outcast. All through God's word uh, and and God's concern for them was to be matched in his people. They were to be concerned for them. They were to care for those in need. And oftentimes the the real troughs in the spiritual life of Israel in the Old Testament, the, the days of the judges or the days of the wicked kings. They coincided with times of people being exploited and the poor being downtrodden. David knows the word of the Lord about his concern for the needy, his outrage at injustice. And David trusts the words of this Lord who says he will act. In fact, David himself has experienced God's care for him personally. David knew what it was to lie down in the hillside as he looked after the sheep at night. Or as he was on the run from Saul for 10 years, sleeping sometimes in the wilderness, putting his head down on the ground to sleep. And he knew what it was to have God answer his groans and his cries. God says in verse 5, I will now arise. I will now arise. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis points out that we don't know when that now is. When God says, I will now arise, that's in his timing. We, we don't always know when that will be. The emphasis here is not on the immediacy of God's relief, but on the certainty of it. He will do it. He will act. We don't know when God will silence the flatterers and the boosters and the warmongers of our world, but we know that he will. We know that he will because he has said so. David trusts The words of the Lord. David also says that the words of the Lord have been tested. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. Purified seven times. I hope by now I don't need to tell you. After our time in Revelation. That seven is the number of perfection. Completion. David's saying God's word has been tested. It's been Thoroughly scrutinized and there's absolutely nothing in it that should 
cast doubt or, or, or cause us to question God. One of the activities that we do at boys camp every few years is we take the boys uh, on a tour of Tito Castle. And nothing pleases the boys in getting as many free bags of crisps to take home with them as they possibly. In fact, nothing pleases some of the officers more than getting a, a few free bags of crisps as well. Uh, but one of the things they show you on the tour of Tito Castle is the, the quality control process. Uh, there's a part of the factory that is dedicated to making sure that every bag of crisps is a quality bag of crisps. That you're not going to open your Tito cheese and onion and find just a whole big pile of black crisps. Um, they're tested. They go through quality control. David says God's word has been put through quality control. It's like silver refined in a blazing furnace seven times, he says. There's no impurities in it. There's nothing undesirable, nothing defective. It's perfect. In fact, friends, no one's words have ever been subjected to more scrutiny and more quality control than the word of God. For thousands of years, God's word has been investigated. It's been tested and no one has ever been able to find it suspect or untrue. In fact, as time goes on, the Bible just keeps being vindicated. For the facts and history and truth of, 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 of what is in it. Charles Spurgeon writing in the 1800s. He says the Bible has passed through the furnace of persecution. Literary criticism. Philosophical doubt. And scientific discovery. And has lost nothing. In the process of scrutinizing God's word. Doubtful philosophers have become joyful believers. Some of you, I'm sure, have read some of the books of people who purposefully set out to disprove the Word of God. They've ended up believing the Word of God and being saved and writing a book about that instead. Yes, of course, there are many, many people who still do not believe God's Word, but they don't believe it simply because they do not like it. And their spiritual hearts reject it, not because they can disprove it. As we read and, and sang else, uh, as we sang earlier in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. <coughs> we enter into a world of flattery and boasting and pride every Monday morning, a world of propaganda and outright lies. That's why it's so important, friends, to devote this day, morning and evening, to listening to the tried, tested, pure word of God. The Reformation was marked by some ministers preaching virtually every day of the week. People became hungry for the truth. Now, I know you can't all come here every day of the week, and nor do I have enough sermons to preach every day of the week. But you can take any number of preachers and sermons with you in your car or on your phone. Do you go out for a walk? Fill your week with the tried and tested and pure word of God. And on the Lord's Day, surely it's a good idea for us to give our ears a rest from the flattering and the boasting and the exaggerating words of the world. And to devote ourselves to the tried and tested and purified words of the Lord. I've said earlier, people have more than they've ever had in our country and yet many are more miserable than they've ever been. 
In large part, that is because they are listening to lies about what they need and about what will make them happy and what will give them purpose. Scripture says Satan is the father of lies and his lies lead to death. God's words are true and they bring life. They're sweeter than honey. They're more valuable than all the gold in the world. And so may there be no hint, friends, of flattery, exaggeration, gossip, boasting in our mouths. Instead, may we increasingly fill our ears and then fill our mouths with the word of God, that tried and tested and pure word that leads to life. And so the words of a wicked world, the words of of God, and thirdly, uh, and finally, a, a war that has been won. A war that has been won. Look at verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. The generation being the the wicked world and its wicked words. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Perhaps we'd like the psalm to end there. A nice, encouraging, comforting note to finish on. This generation, these people around us who remain so proud and so stubborn, speaking and believing lies, we're not going to be beaten by them. We're going to be protected. We're going to be vindicated. We have God on our side. And that is true and that is comforting. But instead the psalm ends by reminding us that complete victory for us doesn't come just yet. Look at verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And that word there, it's translated vileness. It's the only place it's used in the Old Testament, in the whole of the Old Testament. It means worthlessness, emptiness. Vileness is exalted among the children of man. And doesn't that describe so much of, uh, so many of the words that are spoken in our world? Empty, worthless. Some of them maybe not harmful or, 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 or wicked as such, but just here today and gone tomorrow. I was reading an article from Desiring God the other week, uh, drawing on the writing of Neil Postman, who wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. He wrote it back in 1985. Uh, But he pointed out, uh, way back then, well before the digital age and smartphones and instant news and all the rest, he wrote that the kind of information, that (coughs) the kind of words that make for global news, the, the words that will be of interest to people from Los Angeles to London to Paris, that would need to be information that was not essential to life in any of those places. So if you were to put on the headline of your newspaper in London that somebody was burgled in the suburbs of Los Angeles, you're probably not going to sell very many papers. You have to find something that is interesting or enticing for people in all those different places. And yet at the same time, such information then by its nature is not essential to life in those places. The article said, Postman asks a pointed question of all our media consumption. How often does it occur that information provided you on morning radio or television causes you to alter your plans for the day or to take some action you would not otherwise have taken or provides insight into some problem you are required to solve? 
In other words, do the majority of the words that we allow ourselves to hear spoken really matter? That's a searching question. Especially for those of us who like to listen to the news and keep up with current affairs. Does much of it really matter? Does it, is it going to alter what we're going to do that day? Again, so much of it instead is flattery, empty boasting, worthless. And yet David closes the psalm by saying, the wicked who speak these words seem to be winning. On every side, the wicked proud, he says in verse 8. Why does he finish the psalm like that? Well, perhaps, friends, because that's life in a fallen world. Verse 7 is a comfort. Verse 7 gives us hope. But verse 8 reminds us, This world is not our home. And we have to plod on through this world full of foolish words. And we have to believe that God rules from his throne. And he sees the plundering of the poor. And he sees the proud exaltation of the wicked. And he sees the warfare of Putin and the often empty words of our media. And he has established a time when he will bring it all to an end. Ralph Davis sums up the last two verses of the psalm by saying, Yahweh preserves us, and yet crud rules the day. It's a very American word, that crud, but he says, Yahweh preserves us, and crud rules the day. Crud rules the the day for now. But how do we know that the pure, tested, trusted words of God will win out in the end? Because, friends, in a sense, the last word in this spiritual war has already been spoken. At the cross, Christ Jesus was surrounded not so much by flatterers, but certainly by boasters, by the proud and the arrogant who said essentially to Christ, who made you a master over us? Pilate said, here is your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. We don't want him as our king. And Christ in those moments as his life was taken from him, he, he seemed to be defeated. And yet as Jesus died, he shouted from the cross, finished, finished. There's Christ dying in our place for our sin, even for our, our own wicked words and empty boasts. And even in the face of death, there's the declaration of victory. Jesus died, but Jesus rose. And when he returns, he will have the final word over all the injustice and all the lies and all the boasts and all the bloodshed of our world. God will keep us and guard us from this generation forever. You can trust his words. But friends, let's not be silent as the wicked prowl around. May it not be said of our generation in years to come, the godly disappeared, the faithful vanished. May it be said that we spoke up and spoke out. May it be said that we answered the flatterers and the boasters with the truth about Jesus Christ, our King and our Victor. And may we remember that though the battle rages on, the war of words has already been won. Amen.